0: And welcome to another episode of the Vardwani Viewpoint podcast. My name is Manalisha, and today's conversation is going to be all about startups. Joining us is Siddharth Ramasubramanian, the founder and CEO of Hello Tempe. Hello Tempe is a conscious food venture that seeks to address the nutrition gap in the Indian vegetarian diet. Tempe is an ingredient that's made from fermenting whole soybean. Siddharth, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here. Could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your venture?
1: Thank you very much. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Ali, and I'll take a minute or so to tell you a little bit about uh, my background. So, uh, I'm, I'm a true-blooded hotelier. Um, I've been working in hotels and restaurants since I was 15 years old. Uh, went to study hospitality and and ended up Uh, working in both the hotel business as well as the casino business, opening restaurants, hotels, casinos in various parts of the world including the US, Australia and then Dubai. Um, And so my love for food, uh, my love for sort of serving people sort of things that excite them and energize them and keep them coming back is sort of what I've spent most of my life doing. Um, So post my sort of last stint as the CEO of a large real estate company, Um, I decided that it was time to set out on my own. Um, I had 20 plus years working in hospitality and real estate and uh, my true passion being food, I wanted to come back to food in its core essence. And uh, the second sort of decision I made, which was a life decision, was where do I wanna be? And where do I wanna build this? And I chose that to be India. And I wanted to come back to India to build a meaningful food company. So that's sort of the first decision I made, which was to build a meaningful food company in India. And after spending about six months to eight months in India, uh, looking at what the opportunities were and and what I wanted to do, we landed on a very simple premise. And the premise was that vegetarians in India and folks that are non-vegetarian in India that consume vegetarian food most of the time and eat non-vegetarian food infrequently One of their biggest complaints is lack of choice when it comes to protein. It's not that there aren't protein ingredients for vegetarians, it's just there are not enough of them and boredom sets in. And so what we realized is that sort of the biggest difference we could make was to deliver sort of protein rich food to the Indian market through sort of delicious means uh, in a way that would make a material impact, not just in the short run, but over a five, 10 year period. And that sort of was the start of our company and how we sort of decided to do Hello Tempe.
0: Amazing. So you're essentially creating a new category, which is very exciting as an entrepreneur, I'm sure. And I'm sure it's going to be a very insightful conversation. We'll get into that aspect of building a venture as well. But to begin with, uh, you've had extensive experience in the hospitality industry. You've worked in different geographies, as you said. Now, how does that help you in your venture today? If you could maybe break it down in the top three ways that that experience has helped you.
1: Yeah, I guess when, anytime we're starting a venture, let's just start with the word experience. Here, let's forget what that experience is. And I think uh, I have a lot of young folks working with me today. I'm sure that many of them are aspiring entrepreneurs. And the first thing I talk to them about is gaining meaningful experience right? Building something, getting your hands dirty and going through the trials and tribulations of creating something, having to communicate it, having to sell it, getting people to want to buy it, to ensure that you're able to make a sale at a profitable level. Just the experience of pulling all that together. I often tell them whether you're selling lemonade or cookies down to your neighbors or whether you're trying to build a big business, experience is critical. So that's number one. Number two is the hospitality business, uh, especially restaurants and hotels is a very difficult and thankless industry. You're only as good as your last plate served. You're only as good as the last hotel stay somebody had. Nobody ever remembers you for the 10 great times they had in your restaurant or hotel. They only remember you whether the last time was good or not. And so what the hospitality business teaches you is how to relentlessly stay detail oriented. Right? While you can think big picture and you can talk about vision, what makes the hospitality industry work is thousands of people every day showing up and pulling things together so that that one meal, that one hotel stay, that one spa treatment, that one parking experience, whatever it may be, actually meets the guests' expectations or exceeds it. And that ability to sort of pull things together to create those magical moments Uh, is sort of a muscle that I have built thanks to so many mentors I've had and so many people that I've had the privilege of working with. Uh, Then that muscle comes in really handy when you're trying to build a business on your own. And the third thing is it's really about food, right? So food, we can talk about it in very complex ways, but it's an emotional thing, right? We never talk about, hey, I think I want a chole batura or I think I want an ice cream. I feel like a chole batura, I feel like ice cream, I feel like eating that. So food is very much about emotion. There is a practical aspect to why you wanna eat something, but there's an emotional aspect about what makes you want to long for something to eat, right? And make you crave it. So the business of restaurants teaches you that because the customer comes, looks at a menu, looks at that menu and says, ooh, I have to order this. Ooh, this sounds really good. And so the ability to craft food menus and food programs, whether it's Italian, whether it's Indian, whether it's Chinese, whether it's a bar, uh, whatever it may be, each one has to be crafted differently. So I think this ability to pull very sort of complex experiences together to create a magical moment, the love for food, and just the fact that one has to have level of experience doing something, building something is, I think, where the relevance comes in.
0: Right, absolutely, sounds like a tough industry to be in and uh, it's serving you well today in in the venture that you're building. So now, uh, while research of course is crucial, how important would you say is first-hand experience in the industry that a founder is venturing into?
1: You know, I actually think that there's probably not a right answer or wrong answer for that. I think we've seen uh, entrepreneurs around the world build hugely successful, long-lasting businesses with little to no experience in that industry uh, because they had a keen eye on something that they were solving or they had a keen eye on why a particular piece of technology would enable some kind of a service uh, and they were amazingly good at executing it. Uh, Oftentimes what I've seen happen is experience within a certain industry can be quite blinding and quite limiting. Nobody in the hotel business ever expected that there would be an Airbnb that would show up because we always thought a hotel was a hotel and needed to be a hotel or a resort or a timeshare. But it took somebody who had no relevant experience whatsoever in hospitality to build a brand called Airbnb, which has the largest inventory of rooms in the world more than any Sheraton, Marriott and so on. But having said that, I I think a keen perspective on solving a particular problem or enhancing a particular experience or adding so much value oftentimes comes from outside the industry. But I think what the smart ones do and what, you know, I have tried my best to do is coming from hospitality and moving to FMCG is to surround yourself with people who have the bench strength and the experience in actually executing in that particular industry. Because you may have a great idea, you may have the right solution but what you need is a good foundation of people who can tell you all the pitfalls, all the opportunities, the rights and the wrongs of how this industry operates without limiting your ability to deliver on your vision. Because your vision may be in many times larger than what the industry's vision of itself is. And I use Airbnb just as a a simple example to folks like me who didn't see it coming, right? So when you've been in the industry 20 years and you don't see something coming, it's very possible to not have experience, but surround yourself with a great ecosystem of people.
0: Right, that's a very uh, balanced perspective so thanks for that and uh, now with Hello Tempe you're building a new category which comes with its fair share of risks and uh, what I want to know is was there enough research available around this topic or what kind of research did you undertake to determine that there was a significant market for the product in India
1: yeah I think you know uh, I, I have had and I've been lucky enough to be part of a very competitive industry for multiple reasons, which is the casino entertainment business, uh, working in markets like Las Vegas, where they you know, everybody has a beautiful multi billion dollar property, whether it's the Bellagio, whether it's MGM, whether it's Venetian, whether it's Wynn. And, and oftentimes what happens in that industry is you have to be in a, a really good at trend spotting, right? Because it takes you four to five years to build these properties. So if you start in the year 2000, by the time you're open, it's 2004. So every decision that you made in 2000 and 2001, the customer's experience in 2004, and 2005. So it's really easy to make mistakes by looking at the rearview mirror. So you really have to have the ability to look forward and make some assumptions on what could be a reality tomorrow. That may not be a reality today or maybe an emerging reality today. So. That kind of experience that I've had has come through sort of a certain type of research, right? Uh, one of them is through very keen observation sessions, right? So we had a team of two people, me included, and we spent five to six days a week in grocery stores and retail stores. Whether it's an HS basket, whether it's general trade, whether it's a wholesale supermarket. People bought paneer, watching how people bought snacks, watching and talking to them in the store very discreetly. Um, asking if they had brand preferences. We would spend uncomfortably (laughs) a lot of time at bars and restaurants and very covertly and sly walk around and talk to the consumers. there, going, hey, anybody on the table a vegetarian or what do you like to eat? And beginning to really observe not what the customer said but how they behaved, right? And when they said certain things, we would sort of just say, oh, can you tell me more about that, right? And we would engage the customer in a dialogue because the core is not just what the customer says, the core is what is their motivation for doing that? What's the underlying reason that is causing them to behave that way? And the more conversations you have with consumers, you not only realize that there are certain limitations in a vegetarian's diet, you begin to understand why they're trying to solve those limitations. Because once you really understand that and you begin to hear it more and more and more, and it's tiring work day in and day out. You got to be on the field day in and day out. You got to be talking to people and then you follow it up with a telephone survey or an online survey to get a thousand plus customers to give you the data you want, you begin to form a perspective. And for us, that perspective that we formed was not mine. The perspective that we formed was the consumer's voice. That we embraced and said, the consumers are screaming loudly for give me more vegetarian protein options by saying things like, uh, you know, there's dal me zyada protein. Hai. There's so much protein in dal. Now I know I follow this nutritionist on Instagram and I know that's not true. There's not enough. Protein for my daily use in a cup of dal. And they would say things and talk about things in ways that you begin to connect the dots. And that kind of forward looking research, right? And saying if the consumer's voice is so loud today about this, we believe the volume of their requirement is only going to get louder. Is only going to get louder because we're a young country where people are hooked to digital media. They are consuming content. So we made two bets that the consumer, based on our insights, need more protein and are asking for more choices based on what we we study. And B, given the demographic of the country, being as young as it is, that demand and requirement is not at its peak. In fact, it is just at its beginning. So when you know that there is a demand for something and you believe you're only in the beginning stages of that demand, you can sort of imagine the opportunity in a country like India, right? Which is the largest population of vegetarians globally, right? We love our Indian food and we love to eat food, right? And the fact that the protein requirement is growing, we connected those dots and felt very comfortable sort of taking that next step onto the bridge that said hey whether somebody else has built this bridge or not i think if we build this bridge the consumer is going to be waiting for us when we decided that the opportunity was the protein gap for vegetarians we made two choices we made we made two decisions we're not going to sell protein shakes and bars because there's a lot of them out there and we don't want to be plant-based meat because in our view plant based meat was not the product for the indian vegetarian consumer okay it was ultra, it is ultra processed and consumers were not looking they were looking for protein they weren't necessarily looking as a vegetarian to eat something that tasted like chicken they were looking for protein so we decided not to do plant based meat and not to do protein shakes and bars instead what we decided to do was create big bring a new a 1000 year old ingredient called tempeh Uh, which is naturally made through fermenting soybeans into a block that looks like paneer, gets cut into cubes like paneer, but takes and cooks quite differently and is easy to use in the Indian kitchen. So the product that we decided on was this natural, vegetarian-tasting, high-protein ingredient that can be easily incorporated into the Indian kitchen to meet the demand that we saw coming and growing in India for vegetarian protein. Those are the dots we connected. The reason I bring that up is because we could have very easily been a new brand of paneer and said, oh, we have more protein than the other paneer. Or we could have done protein shakes. But we thought it was really important to create a new category because we thought the demand in the market was going to be for not just what is already here and a new brand doing it, but actually for a new product
0: that's incredible perspective into what goes behind creating a new category and the research that goes into it so that's great so moving on to the next question hello tempe is available online in multiple cities across india Now, an e-commerce business obviously comes with its own share of pros and cons. What are the top three challenges you would say in setting up an online store and how did you go about overcoming them? If you could break it down into three points.
1: Now, when you launch a new product category in a market like India and you're a startup, you're not a large FMCG company, one of the most efficient ways to do it is through e-commerce, okay? And the reason one of the most efficient ways to do it through e-commerce, especially through your own site, is you begin to get information from the consumer directly. So I know who are the first thousand people that bought me. I know what they bought. I have their phone number. I can call them and ask them what the experience was around using my new product that they've never heard about before and nobody in India has used before. So what that gives you is the next layer of learning. If you don't sell through your own website in the beginning, it becomes very difficult to get that consumer feedback real-time. So if one consumer said, and if I heard that from a few people, we said, hey, maybe we need to look at the spice levels in a particular marinade, right? Um, Maybe our recipe instructions are not as easy as we thought it was. Information that we would have never got if we didn't know, have access to that consumer and consumers are more than happy to talk to you. If you call them with the real intent to improve your product, they're really happy to talk to you. So I think launching via e-commerce, specifically your own website is very critical in order for you to garner your sort of own particular type of feedback that you need in order to scale and grow to the next level. So that was a, a no-brainer for us. The second part is that marketing today, there's nothing new that I'm saying, the channels are constantly going through change. So Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, especially Instagram, is constantly changing in terms of how you market, how you use the channel. And it is one of the most efficient ways still, despite not being always easy, it is one of the most efficient ways to educate people about a new category. So for me, it was never about Boss, there has protein bar A, protein bar B, protein bar C. I'm protein bar D and here's why you should like me. For us, it was about telling people, are you missing protein in your life as a vegetarian? Do you want to learn about a new food, tempeh? Here's what it is. Hey, have you heard about tempeh? Here's what you can make with it. Hey, you've heard about tempeh. Here's how you cook with it. Hey, what is the, why is protein in tempeh so good? So for us, the electronic mediums are one of the best mediums to educate and to inform and to excite people and if you can direct them to your website for that first time purchase then you're able to close the loop on getting feedback from them i think this loop of educating and getting feedback is extremely critical for a new category like ours and sorry for the long answer but i think the 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 key the key three or one or two or three things that are important is that you got to stay committed to it? It's very easy to sort of say, oh, it didn't work or it worked. Uh, but if you truly believe there is demand and your product is well positioned to take care of that demand, you're going to make some mistakes in content along the way. You're going to have a month or two where you spent and didn't see the return, but you got to constantly keep tweaking it. You got to constantly keep filtering it and adjusting the message and seeing if the consumer is responding. So, yeah, to me, it's it's almost a must-have if you're looking to set up a new category.
0: Right. And when it comes to distribution, what does your distribution model look like? And what would be your advice to other founders on the same thing?
1: My advice would be, um, rightly or wrongly, would be do e-commerce first um, in order to get the feedback. Develop relationships with the right e commerce platforms. So for us, we partnered with Amazon and Big Basket day one because there are grocery platforms. You know, people who buy paneer also would like to try something new. Tempeh. So for me, we needed to go to places that were selling. Big Basket sells a lot of paneer, uh, Amazon sells a lot of paneer. So we needed to align ourselves with where our customers were going to shop, right? And it allowed us to learn and allowed us to see what kind of business we were able to do based on the marketing we were doing. The next thing I would recommend is to step into quick commerce, which is the Instamart and the Zeptos of the world. And the Instamart and the Zeptos of the world are critical because the younger, more sort of agile, e-commerce friendly consumer is living in those platforms, right? There is a consumer that doesn't plan for groceries anymore. They don't need to, right? If they want some of the basics, they order it. By the time they go from the office to home, it's already there, right? So there is a younger generation of consumers who, oh, by the way, are also more likely to try a new category. So the people who are younger and more likely to try a new category, the people who are buying groceries, especially in our business, it became critical to do e-commerce followed by quick commerce. Then what I would do is without wasting a lot of time, I would do a pilot trial with select retail. And the reason I would do that is because you have now say six months worth of data, at least to be able to go and sit with a retailer and say, Hey, here's how we have performed. Here's what the customers are saying. Here's why this should be exciting you. And retailers always want to hear that our business is new business. We're not stealing paneer business. We're not stealing other business. Consumers are buying this in addition to everything they were already buying. So it's new revenue, it's incremental revenue, and we can prove it to you. Here's what we did with Big Basket, here's what we've done with Amazon, here's what we've done with Instamart and so on. So the retailer gets more comfortable because it's really important to pilot retail to understand how the non-e-commerce customer is reacting to your product. Because they come, they look at the shelf, do they ignore you? Are you visible? Are you doing sampling? If you're doing sampling, did they like the sampling? what questions did they ask did they keep feel comfortable buying it so your learnings through your site your learnings through other e-commerce platforms and then your learnings through physical retail will give you that omni-channel learning and once you get that omni-channel learning then you decide where you want to push the gas more am I going to go platform heavy retail heavy all three heavy my website and retail but those decisions differ by brand and differ by by product and for us we that's exactly what we did is we went sort of step by step didn't get too excited didn't try to grow too fast but really create a model that we're now scaling up on
0: so what did you eventually decide or what are the platforms that you've uh, that you are currently playing in
1: so we're currently on practically all the e-commerce platforms so we started in Bangalore we spent about three four months and then we moved to Hyderabad in a few months, we moved to Chennai, and then we stay put in three cities. We did not move. Everybody said, no, you should expand, you should expand. We said, no, we're not. We want to get our production right, our quality right, our market understanding right. We want to pilot retail, we want to see all of that. So we ended up being in Amazon, Big Basket, Instamart, Zepto, Nature's Basket, and a few other retail chains like Namdari's and so on. And once we got one year behind us, we said, now we're going to go to Mumbai, and we're going to." Do it in a big way then we went to mumbai and said okay now i'm going to be in 50 retail stores and all the e-commerce platforms let's see how the west and how this mumbai market reacts once we saw tremendous response from mumbai we said okay so it's not just in the south it's also in a market like mumbai makes logical sense now we have proof that this product and this category will work in india is working in india and we're seeing loyal customers buying it again and again and using it as a staple when an entrepreneur needs to build that confidence in their own product whether it takes six months 12 months 18 months that the product market fit is solid because once you get the confidence that the product market fit is really good then you can put all the pressure in the world to scale right don't scale before it's too don't scale too early don't wait too late wait till and, and part of it is data, and part of it is an entrepreneur's instinct going, yeah, a lot more people like this than don't like this. And 30 40% of my sales are coming from repeat purchases. I think we're on to something. Then we went from four cities to 12 cities in three months. So it took us 16 months to get to four cities. And it took us three months to go from four cities to 12 cities. That's the exponential growth that you need to start seeing once you have a little bit more confidence. And now we're in about 250 retail stores we're in e-commerce across 12 cities
0: now uh, coming to the pricing part of things the indian market is notoriously price conscious how did you go about zeroing in on your pricing strategy what what does that process like
1: as i said you know when you come from a, an industry that's not fmcg and you build an ecosystem i think the good ecosystem that i built. I had, you know, good advisors that would tell me, Hey, don't forget price matters, price matters, price matters. And that was drilled into my head from day one. Uh, So what we, I think two things helped. One is we said, we don't want to be an expensive plant-based fancy food that is imported because the market is not big enough for that. We said, we want to be made in India. Everything we do needs to be made in India for my cost. To be good but i need to make it in world-class standards but everything needs to be sourced in india so that's the first pricing is only an outcome pricing doesn't start with pricing pricing starts with your cost of building so we made the first decision that everything we do with tempeh we need to do within india which gives us a cost advantage number two is we said people eat paneer quite regularly for enjoyment for protein for health or whatever it may be Today in modern retail, paneer is priced anywhere from 100 to 140 rupees, depending on the brand, right? For 200 grams. We said we need to be within 10, 15 rupees of that. So our price is is 145 rupees because it's a natural product, no preservatives, same size is 145 rupees. So we said if somebody can afford to buy paneer in stores or online, and paneer is a $9 billion category in India okay uh one of the largest food categories so if and 1 billion of that is in store sold in stores so in this 1 billion billion dollar store sold categories we can be within 15 20 rupees of paneer and our marinated versions can be in the same price range then we think the consumer is not going to hesitate to try a new product that is priced in similarity with good quality paneer and that allowed us to land on a pricing that made sense to us and seems to make sense to our customers but it starts with the cost of production because you can't have an expensive cost of production price and parity with paneer and uh, have no gross margins to show
0: right right and today we see that a lot of e-commerce platforms uh not platforms either but stores rely heavily on discounts to attract customers while uh some new age founders have famously gone on and said that their brand will never be on discount because then customers start to expect discounts every time they look to the brand what is your take on this
1: yeah I I guess I'm a little bit more of a traditionalist that um what we have found is that the consumers we have spoken to and are buying from us and we're growing quarter on quarter are generally pretty price inelastic which means they're not buying this if i was if i was 10 rupees cheaper they wouldn't buy more if i was 10 rupees more expensive they wouldn't buy less they're not that worried they feel that 145 165 to feed two to three people is quite reasonable because we're a mass premium brand we're not a mass mass brand Um, So you have to get comfortable and secure in your prices. You should not feel shy about your pricing. That being said, I do believe in a market like India and anywhere else in the world, but especially in a market like India, there are times when you need to notionally offer better value than just the day-to-day pricing. It could be during holidays. It could be during, uh, in order to get loyal customers to buy more, it could be to test whether discounting helps you drive sales uh, and especially when you come with a new category some kind of nominal discounting does help you generate trial because there is a psychology around the customer that says i see the product and there's this little tag on the side that says five percent off Oh, okay chalo, i feel good about it and i think we have to be a little bit practical if people can sell their products all day long with no discounts, more power to them. But I think timely offers of value uh, are important when you're building a new category and and there should be nothing embarrassing about that.
0: Right, absolutely. You have a very strong marketing background. Could you walk us through the marketing strategy that you put together for Hello Tempe?
1: Yeah, I think marketing is uh, pretty important. Uh, marketing cannot win you loyal customers. Only the product can. Um, So no matter how sizzly my marketing is, if we don't deliver a product that people really need in their life or want in their lives, no amount of good marketing can overcome that. I'm a big believer in that. So you start with the product. Now, if you felt that the product is good and only can keep getting better and better over a period of time, then you ask yourself, well, how do I want to position this? And for me, the funda was simple. I don't, I'm not a big fan of health food brands, right? I'm not a fan of brands that tell you, do this, don't do that. I don't like to be told what to eat and what not to eat and to be preached on constantly, you know. Um, what I like is food brands that are fun, that are taste-oriented, that excite my palate, right? And so what we said is we're a protein brand. Right? We're a tasty food brand with protein in it. And all of our marketing are all about boss, there's nothing wrong in life with trying a new food. You might actually like it and find it super tasty. And it doesn't hurt at all that it has the highest quantity of protein of any vegetarian food under the sun with no additives or preservatives. Right? So that's the, having great protein is awesome. But having tasty food is more important. Having ways to teach people how to make it tasty is more important. So our marketing is a lot more about tempeh se burji banta hai. Tempe se ye banta hai. Tempe se wo banta hai. You can enjoy it. Your kids will like it. If you make it like this, don't cook it like this because it won't come out good. Cook it like this, it'll come out good. Like any new product, exciting people around how to make it tasty is priority number one. Uske baad, you keep telling them, it's my protein zada hai, is protein zyada hai. People will Google it, they tempeh is a thousand year old, old product. Sub samaj me protein zyada hai. No problem. But it has to be fun. I should look forward to eating tempeh, not say that, are aaj healthy rahna, aaj tempeh khayenge. I want you to feel good about it every day of the week and know that you're getting good food while you're at it. So, our packaging, our color, our language, our level of enthusiasm, everything is about taste with protein that follows
0: yeah i got to agree with you the packaging and the overall visuals are really fun energetic they're not in this very health conscious category where uh, you know it's it's only aimed at a particular kind of consumer. So I I really appreciate that. And as it comes with building a new category, uh, you do need to raise a fair bit of awareness about what the actual product is. So how did you go about tackling that? Uh, Apart from saying, okay, this is something that you need in your daily meals. How did you sort of raise that awareness of what tempeh is?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's probably the biggest challenge um, that category creators face Uh, frankly speaking uh, you know I think the young team that I have and that uh, early people who I join me as whether marketing interns or whatever it is uh, you have to get a generation of consumers that actually understand the medium you know I call myself I'm the office Buddha you know where (laughs) I have I have people who are in their mid-20s late 20s that understand how Instagram works how YouTube works how this generation learns about things, right? Whether it's through reels, whether it's through influencers, whether it's through events, whether it's through this, they go, hey, we got it, you know, we, we want to be everywhere where the consumer is. So suddenly it feels like, hey, I went to bed yesterday and I woke up the next day. Have we last 30 days, this person's cooking tempeh, that person's cooking tempeh, he's saying this about it, he's How do you create that momentum? How do you create that groundswell at a grassroots level? Because we're not going to run a television campaign during IPL, right? I can't afford to be on the back of the Punjab Kings with my logo, right? So how do you create a groundswell of consumers that are not only happy to discover tempeh, are happy to cook with it and are happy to share it with others? If you can create that combination, it becomes a limitless amount of sharing. And the generation of consumers that are here today, if they like something, they want to share it. They want to spread that information. So making, I think I really congratulate the team that I brought on board who knew it better than I did, how to create that groundswell, young grassroots sort of word of mouth. Once that started spreading, Consumers would say, hey, I saw you on Instagram. This person cooked that nutrition talk. We kept building and building and getting bigger and bigger and bigger uh, before we started doing events. And it's a never ending game. You know, we are only scratching the surface today. You know, we've had Luke Coutinho, India's sort of premium holistic and wellness nutritionist talk about our product. Uh, We have probably one of the largest chefs in in the country who will be teaching India how to cook with it starting in January. We will continue to build mass and more and more and more awareness with more and more investment as our geography footprint comes. It's a never ending journey. You need a team of people who are tireless, who are absolutely tireless in explaining what this new category is to people. Because if you don't have that, you're going to get tired and give up.
0: Right. Absolutely. And as uh, as a category creator, you have the first mover advantage in the market. So how do you work on building customer retention and loyalty from here?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think we learn as we go. But the, the few things that we do is we talk to our customers a lot right we talk to them a lot i have a dedicated team of one or two people who almost on an every other day basis all they do is call customers customers who have bought customers who regularly buy customers who bought once never came back uh, uh and find out oh they said oh i didn't buy on your website now i buy at nature's basket oh okay there are customers still they're buying somewhere else oh i bought the product I, you know i didn't come out so well I don't know if I didn't prepare it right. It gives me the opportunity to say, oh, wait a minute, maybe we'll send you some new recipes. Why don't you try it? So that constant talking to consumers, right? And understanding what they're saying allows you to create recipes, videos, information that you can keep sending to them to get them to want to keep trying your product. Because you got to keep reminding them, right? Yeah. They may have tried it once and they have even liked it, but they may have forgotten to buy it again because it's not part of their daily habit yet. How do you make it part of their daily habit and weekly habit and monthly habit? That's one way to bring more long-term loyalty. The second one is to take very targeted pieces of your database and your market and make them interesting offers, bundle offers. Hey, you bought three packets last time. Why don't you try these three packets? And encouraging them through some value-oriented offers without having to do deep discounts to get them to come back. Because that gives you a sense of how much they like the product and gets them coming back. And the other one is informing them about how to use the product to get them coming back. And when you keep doing those two on a daily basis, upka loyalty-based loyalty Then as you continue to build awareness, you keep doing this and maybe over 3 years, 5 years, 10, 10 years, 20 years, God knows how long, uh, there will be a huge market that you don't really need to do anything it just kind of works on its own
0: right so holistic communication is really the key here and with that we come to an end of this episode of the Vatkhani viewpoint podcast with siddharth ramasubramanian the founder and ceo of hello tempe we've spoken about category creation pricing marketing and distribution in an e-commerce setup and a whole lot more my name is manalisha and i'll see you in the next one Thank you.